The text for this afternoon's sermon can be found in Matthew 18, the verses 15 through 20. Matthew 18, beginning at verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault, just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there am I with them. Following the reading of the sermon, we will sing in response from hymn 62, first and second stanzas. And this sermon is prepared by the hand of Reverend D. DeBoer from Dunville Canadian Reformed Church. It is the third sermon in a series of four. The previous two sermons were read in June and August of this year. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, Today we focus our attention on Matthew 18, 15 through 20, studying what the Lord Jesus says to us about discipline. As we do so, let us first listen to what the book of Proverbs says in several places about the importance of discipline. Proverbs 1, verse 7, Fools despise wisdom and discipline. Proverbs 3, 11 and 12, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. And do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he loves. Proverbs 5, 11 through 14. At the end of your life you will groan when your flesh and your body are spent. You will say, how I hated discipline, how my heart spurned correction. I would not listen, listen or obey my teachers or listen to my instructors, instructors. I have come to the brink of utter ruin in the midst of the whole assembly. Proverbs 6, verse 23, the corrections of discipline are the way to life. Proverbs 13, verse 18, he who ignores discipline comes to poverty and shame, but whoever heeds correction is honored. These texts and many others from the book of Proverbs emphasize for us the importance of discipline and correction. It is our tendency to be like the sheep that wander astray, needing the shepherd to bring them back. We live with sin, and although we fight against it, we are always prone to fall under its influence again. Discipline, through instruction and correction, keeps us on the path of obedience. Through discipline, we learn about our errors so that we can repent of them and seek forgiveness from God and reconciliation to Him through the Lord Jesus Christ. In the first half of Matthew 18, leading up to our text, the Lord Jesus instructs us concerning the need for self-discipline. We must be ruthless with ourselves, 
getting rid of and cutting off those things in our lives that might cause us to sin and come under the wrath of God. To do this, we need to be like little children, acknowledging our weaknesses and dependence upon God. We need to be humble. At the same time, the parable of the lost sheep also emphasizes that we must imitate our Father in heaven, having in our hearts a great love for the rest of the flock, so that we are unwilling to let any of the other sheep go astray. These teachings form the basis for what Christ says to us about mutual discipline. The person who listens to the teachings of Proverbs and values discipline and who is at the same time humble and honest with himself will realize that he needs the help of others to correct him in his life. Sin blinds us to our faults and we should welcome the help of others. And because we love the rest of the flock into which the Lord Jesus has gathered us, we also want to help others by offering correction and discipline in love when required. Discipline is a way of life, and in a congregation of obedient, humble, loving little ones, discipline will be alive and well. I may proclaim the gospel of salvation under this theme. The Lord urges the members of his body to discipline each other. We will see three things. First of all, the method of mutual discipline. Secondly, the authority of mutual discipline. And thirdly, the blessing upon mutual discipline. The method of mutual discipline. Our text begins by speaking about a possible situation. If your brother sins against you. In this situation, the Lord Jesus has particular instructions for us. Before we can pay attention to these instructions, however, we have to understand the situation and before we can understand the situation, we have to deal with a little matter of the text itself. The text speaks about a brother sinning against you. However, the words against you are disputed. Not everyone accepts that they were part of the original text, as you can see if you have a study Bible with footnotes. These words are important. Is our text speaking only about a situation where a brother sins against you personally? Or is it talking about a brother sin, who sins in general and it doesn't affect you personally? Are you supposed to visit him whenever you are concerned about sin in his life? Or only when that sin is against you? Without going into details about ancient manuscripts, we can say that there is very good evidence for the inclusion of these words in our text. Most likely the words against you were part of the original text. Notice that when Peter responds to this parable in verse 21, he asks, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Also, in the parallel passage in Luke 17, verse 3 and 4, the words against you are included. For these and other reasons, we conclude that the text, as we have in our NIV translation, is the right one. Which then raises a question. Is mutual discipline only to be practiced in a situation when a brother sins against you personally? It is true that this is a situation mentioned first of all in our text. Our text speaks about a situation when a brother offends you or wrongs you through a particular sin. However, taken in the text of Matthew 18 and of other passages of Scripture, 
we find that the mutual discipline of which our Lord speaks in this passage cannot be confined only to situations where you are personally offended or wronged. The parable of the lost sheep taught us to have concern for any sheep that is wandering away through sin. We cannot remain silent or refrain from rebuking a brother just because his sin has not affected us personally. Rather, we should follow the example of the Apostle Paul, of which we read in Galatians 2. Paul, noticing that Peter was seriously in error with regard to his observance of the Jewish law, confronted him with it, even in the presence of others, so that the error could be dealt with and repented of. This is a practice that Paul also instructs the churches to follow in other places in his letters. For example, 1 Corinthians 5, 2 Thessalonians 3, it is a practice that has deep roots in the Old Testament, where the people were commanded to discipline and instruct each other, for example, in Deuteronomy 17. If discipline is to be exercised in all cases where we become aware of sin in the lives of our brothers and sisters whom we love, then why does our text speak specifically of those who sin against us personally, simply to remind us that in all cases of sin, our first goal should be to discipline, that is to instruct and correct, so that the straying sheep might be brought back. This goes against our initial instinct, especially when a sin is against us personally. Our instinct is to lash out and strike back, or to become proud and take a harsh moral ascendancy over the other person. That is not how mutual discipline works. Our concern, even when the sin is against us, should be out of love to bring correction and repentance. We must be watching out for each other constantly. We don't want to become nosy, but we do not want to become tolerant of sin because we are afraid to become nosy either. Nor should we be quick to accuse others of being nosy when they, out of love and concern for us, inquire into our lives. This objection is often just a way to cover up our sin and attack those who would help us fight it. If your brother sins against you, says the Lord Jesus, go and show him his fault, just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. Sin is a destructive force and must be confronted. Through the visit to his brother, a believer is able to help his brother to see that the sin that is in his life, which he is perhaps blind to. We are not able, because of our sinfulness, to watch over ourselves perfectly. There are many things that we miss and many ways in which sin can creep into our lives. Therefore, we have the duty to watch out for each other and also when someone comes to us with instruction and correction to listen well, since that teaching and discipline is offered in love. Perhaps the motivation of the person who corrects is not always perfect, but the Lord nevertheless uses the imperfect efforts of the believers in the congregation to correct those who go astray. The Lord is working in this way through the communion of the believers so that not a single sheep may be lost. Of course, all instruction and discipline must be based on God's word and not on the opinions of men. 
That is why the Lord Jesus says, But if he will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. It is possible that we are wrong in our opinions when we offer to correct someone. Therefore, we need others to be a witness and to judge when discipline is not heeded. If the discipline is offered incorrectly, then with the help of others, this can be remedied. When we correct others, we must do so as little ones, humbly remembering our own faults. Not so humble that we lack the boldness to confront sin, but humble enough that we do not set ourselves above Scripture. At the same time, however, these witnesses serve another important function. When the discipline is applied correctly with the word of God and the commandments of the law, then the witnesses add their weight to the admonition that is given. The person whose sin is confronted should carefully reconsider his position if at first he resists. If other voices are added in agreement with those of the person who first gently offered some correction, this added weight should make the person who resisted reconsider his position. The person who stands his ground, despite the opinions of several others, is in danger of becoming stubborn and of closing his ears to the admonition of the Lord. To add further weight to the admonition, the administration of mutual discipline, the Lord Jesus instructs us, if he refuses to listen to them, that is, the witnesses, tell it to the church, and if he refuses to listen to the church, treat him as you would a tax collector and a sinner. The church here means, in the first place, the elders. The elders are men chosen for their wisdom, knowledge, and other gifts, and will judge rightly who is in the right. They will add the weight of their rebukes to the instruction that was given and seek the advice of elders from other congregations when necessary. They will also, through announcements, involve the whole congregation. Mutual discipline is about the whole congregation confronting and dealing with sin. Assuming that the congregation is obedient to God, it is to be hoped that no member of the church resists the combined instruction offered in love, given by fellow members and the consistory. However, in cases where this resistance grows hard, our Savior has given the Church authority to expel members who refuse to repent. Treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Depending on the circumstances, this does not mean shun them, since the Lord Jesus did not shun the pagans or the tax collectors. But it does mean that we can no longer treat them as a brother or sister. For those who choose to persist in sin have rejected the Lord Jesus Christ and his authority and can no longer be considered part of his body. This is considered the last resort, and even this is only an attempt to shock a person into coming back. This is the goal of all church discipline, all mutual discipline, to bring a person back and to help a person see the sin to which he is blind. This is a very difficult task. It is difficult for us to carry out mutual discipline and to accept mutual discipline. 
To help us in this, the Lord has given his authority to the church. This brings us to the second point. The authority of mutual discipline. After the Lord Jesus has explained the method of mutual discipline, emphasizing our love and humility as we go about this important task, he goes on to speak about the authority that he has given the church. He says in verse 18, I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The Lord Jesus here was speaking to the disciples, first of all, about the authority that they would later have as apostles and founders of the New Testament church. But through the apostles, he was also speaking to the church. And since the context is about discipline, particularly mutual discipline and church discipline, he is speaking about the authority of the church to discipline the members within its ranks. The Lord Jesus says that those who refuse to repent when disciplined should be reported to the church and, if necessary, even expelled from the church. To emphasize for us the seriousness of this, the Lord Jesus says that the decision of the church is honored and upheld in heaven. This is what the Catechism means also in Lord's Day 31, when it says that a person who refuses to repent is excluded by the elders from the Christian congregation and by God himself from the kingdom of heaven. In other words, <clears throat> the Lord Jesus is saying that the decision of the church, of your elders and your fellow believers, in matters of discipline, is binding. Of course, these decisions are not binding if they are made in error, as has happened in the history of the church. But assuming that the church is acting in obedience to God, its decision is accepted by God. If there is a member of the church who is confronted with sin and disobedience in his life, then he must not lightly disregard the instruction of his fellow believers and of the church. Not only is this instruction offered in love, but through this instruction the Lord is working to build up and preserve his church. Those who are obedient he preserves, but those who are not obedient are expelled from his kingdom. This, brothers and sisters, should really make us think when we take it upon ourselves to speak to others. We cannot abuse the authority of instruction and discipline that God has entrusted to his church. At the same time, those who receive the instruction of their fellow believers should also be thinking carefully. The Lord is working through that instruction, and he says that he will honor the decision of the church. Now, it was just mentioned that the church can be an error. That is true. But do not forget that our sinful nature is inclined to believe that others are in error. The sinful nature is blind to its own error. So if there is a disagreement between yourselves and your brother over a perceived sin or a disagreement between yourselves and the church, you should not lightly take it upon yourself to say that you are right. When confronted with the law of God, the sinner very quickly begins to make his own laws and to interpret scripture in his own way, refusing to accept the judgment of others. Is it really true? This is the question that you should ask yourself. 
Is it really true that I am right and that everyone else is wrong? My neighbors, the elders, the classes, and everyone else? Remember that it is the little ones, the humble ones who are greatest in the kingdom of heaven. It is better to submit in humility, even when you might be right and the other person wrong, than to resist in pride when there is a good chance that you might be wrong. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. It is important for us to understand, brothers and sisters, that although, as has been stressed all along, discipline is done out of love, this love does not take away from its teeth. Discipline has teeth. By that I mean that it is not just all words, but there is a real consequence if it is ignored. To be excluded or loosened from the church means that your entire salvation is in jeopardy as you are cut off from the life-giving preaching of the gospel. It means that you are no longer a member of the body of Christ. None of us should ever in pride let this happen to us, but make no mistake, if we persist in resisting the instruction of the word given through God's faithful servant, he will shut the door of the kingdom in our faces. He will do this so that we might eventually enter after we have submitted to him. Church discipline is a serious and somber business for those who do not repent. And none of us would dare to wield this power of life and death were it not for the assurance of God that he will help us and give us wisdom. This brings us to our third point, the blessing on mutual discipline. In our last point, we come to a very serious conclusion. Before, we were speaking about love and mutual assistance. But then, all of a sudden, we were talking about the threat of excommunication and expulsion from the God's kingdom. Are these threats really necessary? Sometimes, yes, brothers and sisters, because of our sinful weakness. Sometimes the shock of these threats is what is needed to help us see our error. When we fall into sin, our lives are at stake, and the Lord will do whatever is necessary. We must do whatever is necessary to bring the lost sheep back into the fold. It is not easy for those who are sinners and who are aware of their own sinful weakness to exercise the authority of mutual discipline and to speak to someone else about their sin. We realize that we are equally deserving of God's wrath and no more worthy than anyone else to enter God's kingdom. We also realize that our own sinfulness can hinder our efforts to help others and even cause us to act out of pride, vengefulness, or a wrong spirit instead of love. How will we know how to speak wisely and not to put stumbling blocks in front of others? How will we know when to accept the teaching of others when we have stumbled into sin? How do we know if there is a plank in our own eye when we are busy trying to remove the speck from someone else's eye? The Lord Jesus, knowing our weakness and frailty, and uncertainty says to us at the end of our text, Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you 
by my Father in heaven. For where two or three of you are gathered in my name, there I am with them. These words speak about how God hears our prayers and how the Lord Jesus is in our midst. These words are comforting for the believers and for the church in any situation. But we should notice that they are spoken especially in the context of church discipline. It is difficult for us to boldly and yet lovingly speak to others about the sins in their lives. It is difficult for us to accept it when others speak to us about our sins. But the Father will help us if we ask Him, if we seek Him in prayer to ask Him for His help. The Father promises that He will hear us. If two of you on earth agree about anything that you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. Discipline, whether we are speaking of self-discipline, mutual discipline, or official church discipline, must always be accompanied by prayer. Everyone must pray that the Lord will help them with this task and so protect his children from the attacks of sin. You see, it is not really we who accomplish the task of disciplining the flock, but it is the Father who uses our efforts, despite our sins and weaknesses, to accomplish this goal. We must not doubt that when we do our best to accomplish this task, while praying to the Father for help, the Father will bless us. And the Lord Jesus will be with us, after all, This is his church. We are his members, and he loves us with a deep, abiding love. Discipline is essential, brothers and sisters, for our lives of faith, service, and obedience before the Lord. Without discipline, we would all wander away. Without discipline, the church would no longer exist. Starting with ourselves, we must be busy with discipline. We must be busy also disciplining ourselves. The method that the Lord taught us emphasizes love. It also emphasizes the danger of sin. The Lord will go as far as excluding us from his kingdom in order to shock us into repenting, if that is necessary. And he promises that he will bless our work when we seek to be disciplined. He will help us to speak in love to others and to listen in patience when it is our turn to be corrected. In this way, the Lord is building up his church so that she may remain faithful until he returns to take her into glory with himself forever. Amen.